Okay, if you didn't get outline notes, raise your hand. One of the uh, Connect team will make sure you get them. These will be helpful to you. So, my wife has already said this is our last Sunday here at C3 for three months. Uh, but in the words of Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator, I'll be back. And next time I'll be behind this lectern, uh, the plan is that it'll be on March the 4th, which for some of you may not seem long. But when you consider we've been here 24 years and we've not missed any more than three consecutive Sundays in that time, for us it's a big deal. We haven't missed a Christmas at C3 for 23 years. And originally when I knew I was down to preach, well I knew I put myself down to preach uh, on this last Sunday, I, um, I was going to speak on what would I say if these were the very last words you would ever hear from me. A little bit like the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts when he's with the Ephesian church and he's off to his death in Jerusalem. I thought, what could I say if these were the last? But to be honest, I found that was way too much pressure. And perhaps maybe a little bit over-egged and melodramatic. And let me just say this, though. It is our intention to return. Many of my friends in ministry, pastors, have done sabbaticals. We've never done one in 24 years, so it is overdue. But it is true to say, and some of you have come up to me and said this because you know it. Often it's a defining moment for pastors and they come back only to very quickly leave because they feel God's spoken to them and they're going to move on. Unless God sends angels dancing on the duvet, singing, let it go, let it go, there is no intention of that. We've got too much in our hearts to do for this next season and stage. Our sabbatical, you know, different people do different things. Some people said, are you going to go away writing book? No. Are you going to go away and do lots of courses? No. For us, this is different than others might do. It really is, and I'm going to use this word, a selah moment. Now, what's a selah? In the book of Psalms, you get the psalmist often writes a section and then there's a word that's used, selah. And that Hebrew word has been very hard for translators to translate, but it's probably a musical term that simply means this, rest. Pause. Some say it means pause and praise. So for us, we're going to do stuff that restores our soul, recharges our batteries, and the way we feel, the way we do that, and the way we get energy is being in creation and being with our family. And that's what we're going to do. I, we've, we've already had people contact us. Oh, you're coming to Australia. Would you like to preach? No! I don't want to preach. Would you like to come and visit us? Some people have invited us to visit us that lived around the corner from us that we never saw when we were here. And so we're not going to go to the other side of the world to see them. We've said, no, thank you. No, that no, sounds rude. But we want to pull back in order to refresh and restore our souls. We will be visiting some churches under the radar because we can't help but want to learn. 
but we've not planned it. Apart from one week with Jeff Lucas that we've got where we're going to do this life plan thing with him, we've not planned and overly stuffed the diary. So what do I want to speak on today? Well, let me paint this picture. In February 1993, we had just completed a building program in the Wirral. We'd bought a school, we'd done the school up, and we had this open weekend. So we had Frank Field, the, mayor, the MP, come in. I remember Frank Field writing a check, gave us some money. I've always had a lot of respect for Frank Field, not because he gave us a check, but he's a well-known politician these days, the, the, the MP Beckenhead, as he was then. We had the Birkenhead user group, the bug group that we were involved with. We had the campaign for helping unsettled children, which we're going to take part of the building over. We had the scouts. We had the nursery that we were starting. We were starting a credit union. We just built a new 500-seater auditorium. We had a, a duo called Phil and John that were coming in to sing at a concert. And then we had the apostle who was over the churches. That's what we called him, visiting a guy called Bryn Jones. And we took Bryn out uh, for lunch. And Bryn was very impressed with all that we'd done. Actually, it was the first time in public I ever did a rap. Yes, that was part of my previous career, MC Campbell. But I'm not doing it today. And Bryn sat us down over lunch. And Bryn looked us in the eye. This is the opening weekend, remember. And he said to us, he was Welsh, by name, Boyo. Is that good? That good Welsh accent? Have you ever considered moving? <laughs> we kind of leant back in our chairs and said, you must be kidding. This is the opening weekend. But the honest truth was we had. But we said to him, not now. And he just said, come back to me when you're ready to move because I believe you should be in a university city. And when you feel ready, I've got some options you'd like, I'd like you to pray about. That was February 1993. By the summer, the end of the summer 1993, we'd rung Bryn and we said, we'd like to consider moving. He said, I'd like to offer you two places to pray about, Leeds and Cambridge. I didn't even tell Ange initially about Leeds because we'd lived in Yorkshire for some of our time when we were training and it wasn't that far from my mum, and I wanted to put some distance between her and, 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 and me. So, that's the honest truth. That, that was the reality. We loved her, but distance was a good thing. And so, we said, yeah, well, we'd love to pray about Cambridge. And we came here for a weekend. We'd left Josh and Becky, the two children we had, back with grandparents. And we were going to a conference in Norfolk, Jesus in Me, it was called the Jim Campaign. This was the autumn of 1993. And we stood as fresh as we can. It was heaving. It's never been any different for parking. We parked way out and walked in. And I remember the exact spot we stood. We stood by the back of St. Andrew the Great, stag there in Line Yard. And we stood together and held hands and looked around and looked at each other. And we said, this is where we're meant to be. This is where we're meant to be. 31 we were at that stage. I was, you were 29. We stood there and said, this is where we're meant to be. And we rang Bryn. I remember ringing Bryn and saying, we believe God's called us to Cambridge. And I said this to him, Bryn, if we move to Cambridge, can we, however, 
stay there for the long haul. Because what we'd observed in the movement we were in, which kind of doesn't exist now in the way it did, but there was always a lot of movement. What happened was a pastor would face a crisis that could be because of that, internally his own stuff, or it could be because of the church. And then that, the method those days was he's facing a crisis, move him. And then the problem would be down the road. And there was all this movement. And I remember, I remember knowing enough then to say, we don't believe we can build something of significance if we're moved too quickly. We want to stay for the long haul. It's not a guarantee that if you stay for the long haul that you'll build something. But it is a guarantee, I'd say, if you move on too quickly in leadership, church leadership, that you won't establish all that you want to establish. And he said, yeah, that would be fine, Bach. And we moved here in the April of 1994. Here's a picture of me. <sighs> ah, in 1994. That's me, 32. And what I want to do today is I want to speak to me and say, what are some of the things you've learned in the last 24 years that might be a help to some other people? I think the first thing I'd like to say is don't ever forget what it's like to run your hands through your hair. <laughs> That's the first thing I'd like to mention. But I just want to give some things, and we'll see how many we get through, that I think are necessary for life and leadership. And I am addressing you all as leaders because you're salt and light and you can make a difference in your world. This is the first thing I want to say to my 32-year-old self. Listen to God. Listen to God. The verse that I put in your notes there from Samuel is when Samuel, the young boy, is in the temple and he hears a voice and he mistakes the voice thinking it's Eli and he runs to Eli and says, what you call me, master? And Eli says, no, I didn't. Go back to bed. It happens the second time. No, go back to bed. The third time it happens, Eli says, if it happens again, say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And I had seen that in my life as a defining verse. And I could say it in another way. If you want to say it in a Trinitarian way, I could say, listen to God, cultivate a closeness to Jesus, and keep in step with the Spirit. You see, I, I, I believe this. Hear, hear me on this. I believe that ministers, and I think we're all ministers, but I'm talking about in church leadership and what I do in the pastoral ministry. So I do believe we're all leaders. But let me say this in what I do as a pastor. I believe we should act professionally in this sense. There ought to be accountability. There ought to be credibility. And there ought to be competency. But I didn't enter this. And I didn't move to Cambridge. And we didn't as a family because it was a good move as a professional. We came here. I entered this, what I do today, because of a call. Because of a voice from heaven. And I responded in regard to that voice. And I like this book. I don't like the title fully. I think he could have done it better. But I read this a few years ago by John Piper. He's written, Brothers... We are not professionals. I think he could have said, brothers and sisters, we are not professionals. But that was never going to happen with John Piper. But I like what he says in here at the beginning. He says, we pastors are being killed by the professionalizing of the pastoral ministry. 
The mentality of the professional is not the mentality of the prophet. It's not the mentality of the slave of Christ. Professionalism has nothing to do with the essence and heart of the Christian ministry. Our business is to strain forward to the holiness of Christ and the prize of the upward calling of God, to pummel our bodies and subdue them lest we be cast away, to deny ourselves and take up the blood-spattered cross daily. How do you carry a cross professionally? We are to be filled not with wine but with the Spirit. We are God-besotted lovers of Jesus Christ. How can you be drunk with Jesus professionally? Then, wonder of wonders, we were given the gospel treasure to carry in clay pots to show that the transcendent power belongs to God. Is there a way to be a professional clay pot? And his appeal is basically this, and this is what I've tried to do in my ministry here is not listen to everyone else's voice, but listen to God's. We live in a noisy world, don't we? Don't you think it's noisy? See, one of the things we want to do when we're away, we're coming off all social media, and we're going to go to a little lodge somewhere as well in the wilderness in Australia, because I want quiet. And social media... It's not evil. It's not of the devil. It can be used for good. Social media hasn't helped us. My friend calls it social bleedia. It's like everyone bleeds on there. And the stuff that's on there, you can't get away. It's 24-7. It's on. But I discovered this. With all the noise around, you can lose the sound of the voice of God. And Jesus rarely shouts. When we first came here, confession, for a while, we listened to the wrong voices. We listened to the bleating of the sheep, and I'll qualify that in a moment. And we listened to the voice of strident, manipulative leadership. I won't qualify that. I've just said it as it is. Now, I want to qualify it in this way. Any pastor must listen to the bleating of the sheep. Of course he must, or she must. In Acts chapter 6, you've got the uh, Hebrew-speaking Jews that are widows, that are being, uh, the Greek-speaking Jews, rather, who are being overlooked by the distribution of food. And they bleat. Were being overlooked in their bleating, they were bleeding. There was a genuine need. So you have to hear the bleating of the sheep. You have to listen to godly leadership. We believe, and this is not a fancy popular word, we believe that we should submit to one another. But that's not something anyone ever forces on you. It's no use me saying to anyone, submit, 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 because it's not for me to dominate. It's for someone to say, I willingly submit. It's my choice. And of course you must submit. I must submit to godly leadership. So we must hear the bleating of the sheep, and we must submit to godly leadership, but what happened to me was those voices of the sheep and those voices of other leaders who were dominant was way too loud in my ears and I couldn't hear the voice of Jesus. This has been my experience. And these aren't wrong that I'm going to just read out to you. What's been, these are some of the things that have been said to me over the years that somehow 
I couldn't hear God's voice because of these. And sometimes you can hear God's voice in these, but you need to know the difference. Church should be like this. And people would tell me how it should be. No, 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 no. Church should be like this. And that was the polar opposite to what the person over here has just told me. Have you seen what's happening over there? There's a move of God. God's always on the move, by the way. There's a move of God, and it should be like that. This is happening over there. The answer, this was said to me, the answer, the answer, not a answer. The answer is small groups. No, the answer is women's ministry. No, the answer is gifts of the Holy Spirit. No, the answer is Ephesians 4 ministries. I was told this at one point. If you separate yourself from the network that you're in and come away, you, Steve Campbell, you will fall flat on your face because you can't survive without the apostolic and prophetic ministry. Oh. This is what you should do. No, this is what we want. This is what we did in our last church. And the cacophony of sound. I lost the voice of Jesus. Who are you listening to? The GLS over the next few days. And I just recommend this to you. And, and you don't have to do this for nine hours a day. Cut out sound somewhere in your day. Two minutes. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Just listen. Because he speaks. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Why? Because he's the center of the universe. Because he's the darling of heaven. Because he's the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. Because he is the only begotten. Because he is the sustainer of the universe. Even now by the word of his mouth. Because Jesus is the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the bread of life. Jesus is the Savior of all. Jesus is the builder of his church. So I think he knows how to do it. I need to listen. And I should prioritize listening to him. Do you know what I've discovered as well? This In my two minutes, because I don't want anyone to be, get beat up thinking, I haven't got two minutes. You've all got two minutes a day where you can create a time to listen to God. I've always discovered this. Every time I've drawn aside, he always reassures me of his love. Always. The first time you ever hear or see written down for us in the Scriptures an audible voice to Jesus in his ministry from the Father is when he's being baptized. And what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And I've never drawn aside and not heard something of the affirmation of God saying, Son, I love you. Now, in that context... I've then heard him say to me, oh, and you need to adjust your attitude there. But it's in the context of love. I'm accepted by God. Who do you listen to first and foremost? Steve, don't ever lose the voice of God in the noise of the world. I love the way the Bible says, incline your ear. If you're going to incline your ear, guess what? I, I am a little deaf now. My family mock me and all of that kind of stuff. But I have to lean in in order to hear. Lean into Jesus. Secondly, this. Steve, know what you don't know. Know what you don't know. And I think... The way to realize what we don't know is to better understand what we do know. 
Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. This is from the Living Bible. I love the way the Apostle Paul says this. For I decided not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It wasn't that the Apostle Paul didn't know all this stuff. Of course, he was an intelligent, well-educated man. He was versed in the Hebrew Scriptures. But he chose, he decided not to know some stuff and to base all that he spoke on to the Corinthian church and other churches on what he did know. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Maybe another way to say this is keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus was effectively asked that question by a lawyer one day. What's the main thing? What's the most important thing? How can I inherit eternal life? What's the main thing? And Jesus got it down to two sentences. And can I be honest? The whole of my ministry, the whole of my life has been trying to keep up with these two, uh, two, two sentences. That's all I'm about. That's all this church is about. If we can sort this one, we'll have made it. This is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody here got that down to perfection right now? That's all we're about at this church. This is a simple church. But simplicity is profound. And that's why Jesus said it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, I, honestly, the more I've gone on, and I'm hungry to learn, as hungry to learn now as ever. I'm so glad I went back and did some further study. I'm so glad we have likes of GLS. I just want to learn. But the more I learn, the more I realize what I don't know. But I do know some stuff. In fact, I know the meaning of life. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The meaning of life. As I've got older... I'm increasingly feeling more secure when people ask me questions. Because people ask me on my opinion for stuff all the time. My favorite answer these days is, I just don't know. How cool is that? I just don't know. And you know what? I don't feel bothered that I don't know either. <laughs> oh, but this is what I do know. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor is yourself. Karen Yeo says that if people ask your opinion, maybe this is a good question to ask in your mind before you answer them. Will this help move a person closer to Jesus or further away from Jesus? I didn't say this in the first service. This is free for you. A young lady came to me and asked me a question a few months ago. and It was a controversial question. I'm not going to share what it was. And I started to answer with my opinion. I knew some stuff because I'd read about this. And I looked at her, and she's filled with tears. She'd been around Christians before. And my answer was exactly what she'd heard before. And my knowledge was not going to win her over at all. So I stopped and I said, I said, look, I'm, I'm the pastor here. 
So people think I've got answers. But can I be honest with you? I'm just not sure. But don't tell anyone else. And she just thanked me for being honest. And then smiled and walked away. Do you think maybe sometimes we're just better listening? Hello? Maybe it's just better listening. Steve, 24 years ago, 32 years of age with a full head of hair. Listen more. Know what you know. But don't be afraid of what you don't know. Thirdly this. Don't let anything be more important than the mission. Anything. Don't let anything be more important than the mission. This is what I've discovered, and this, this is true about me. This is about true about others. Sometimes my role and my identity in my role became more important to me than, my, than the mission. Sometimes other people were more interested about the part they played than the fulfillment of the mission. We can't allow that to happen. When someone else comes in and they're clearly more gifted than you, don't be insecure. We heard it again at GLS, find people that are better. Do you know one of the reasons we've advanced in doing what we're doing is that I got savvy enough, Angie and I got savvy enough to say, we need people around us who are better than we are in some areas. The mission is what's important. Buildings can become more important. <laughs> We've worked so hard on this, haven't we? Aren't we pleased with it? So are. But it must never become what defines our ministry. It's the mission. It's the mission. What about our methods? We like the way we do stuff. I like the way we do stuff. But sometimes you can fall in love with the way you do it rather than the mission. And we mustn't fall in love too much with our methods because the mission is what's paramount. You may have heard this story before, but I'll read it to you. A young woman is preparing a pot roast while her friend looks on. She cuts off both ends of the roast, prepares it, and puts it in the pan. Her friend asks, why do you cut off the ends? The woman asks, answers, I don't know. My mother always did it that way, and I learned how to cook from her. Her friend's question made her curious about her pot roast preparation. During her next visit home, she asked her mother, how do you cook a pot roast? Her mother proceeded to explain and added, well, you cut off both ends, prepare it, and put it in the pot, and then the oven. Why do you cut off the ends, the daughter asked. Baffled, the mother said, that's how my mother did it, and I learned it from her. Her daughter's inquiry made the mother think more about the pot roast preparation. When she next visited her mother in the nursing home, she asked, Mom, how do you cook a pot roast? The mother slowly answered, thinking between sentences, Well, you prepare it with spices, cut off both ends, and put it in the pot. The mother asked, But why do you cut off the ends? The grandmother's eyes sparkled as she remembered, Well... The roasts were always bigger than the pot that we had back then, and I had to cut off the ends to fit it into the pot that I owned. We've always done it this way. We've got to remain flexible and keep on moving. Number six, I'm not going to say much about this. Keep learning. 
If we forfeit the right to learn, we forfeit the right to lead. That's all I'm saying about that. Because I want to emphasize this one a little bit here. Number five, become, hear this one now, become self-aware. Or let me put it in another way. Work on your insecurities. Steve, there's one thing I can say to you. All those years, work on your insecurities earlier. Because just because you get older doesn't mean they disappear. Work on them. John Calvin wrote this. True wisdom consists in two things. Knowledge of God and knowledge of self. He adds, the knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. I have never met a 100% secure person. Except Jesus. And Jesus said this. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. And then the very next thing he does is put a, a towel around his waist and he washes the feet of his disciples. He was secure enough to stoop because he was not demeaning himself. He was still who he was, the Son of God. It's only him that I found is 100% secure. Here's what I've discovered. Everyone, everyone has issues. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't, I've just identified your issue. Everyone has issues. And these may be from experience. These may be from upbringing. I discovered, maybe later in the journey, but I beat myself up in that because at least I discovered it, that some of my insecurities were revealed not by intellectual arguments, but by emotional responses. It was an involuntary response. And I thought, well, where is that coming from? And two questions that I started to ask myself. I started to ask, what am I feeling? Because it was that emotion, and let's not be afraid of emotions, but it was that emotion, whether I responded with anger or whether I responded with hurt, I thought, what? I tried to start to identify what was that emotion. And then coupled with that, I asked God, why am I feeling that? Why am I feeling that? And time and again, he's revealed to me stuff that I've carried forward into life that just needs dealing with. And that might be on my own. That might be with my wife. She's been my best counselor, the wife of my youth. I'm the man I am today because of Ange. Now you say it's because of God and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but he gave me her. She is the fourth member of the Trinity. <laughs> Obviously, Trinity by definition is three, so you understand that wasn't an heretical uh, comment. It was a joke. It was a joke. Anyone listening, it's a jo- it was a joke. <laughs> You know what I discovered? That so much of leadership is actually not a battle with others. It's a battle with yourself. If I can lead me, I can lead others. If I can't lead me, I'm probably going to be a poor leader. 
Insecure people are very self-focused. Their needs end up trumping the needs of the church or the organizations. Why I think so many fellow leaders have fallen out of leadership. And an insecure leader will flip from feeling to feeling. But a secure leader will say, I just need to do what this organization needs me to do today. And get on with it. I, all of us probably have been at some stage in our life addicted to approval. Because of the relationship with my dad and the way things were, I realized much of my effort in life was trying to earn his approval. He's not here now, and you mentioned that. And I had to deal with that. But I've met 70-year-olds and 75-year-olds and 80-year-olds that are still seeking their parents' approval. And they've long passed. So don't think, oh, as I get old, I'll get mature. You can get old and stay very immature. Let me just say, if you're seeking man's approval, you'll go around in circles all the time. If you're seeking God's approval, you've got it. It was secured for you 2,000 years plus ago on a hill called Calvary. He approves of you. God approves of you through Jesus Christ. You simply need to embrace that. Karen Newoff again says, leaders who try to prove themselves lose themselves. Become self-aware. Last three really quickly in this last hour. Believe, that was a joke as well, believe that all things work together for good. Trust me. Trust me, young people. Because I'm old now. I'm 55. Can you believe it, Billy? Yeah, he said, yeah, I can. <laughs> Life is seasonal. Sometimes it's really not nice. But it will change. Because life's like this. It's up and it's down. It's in and it's out. It's high and it's low. And I know it doesn't deal with everything. But knowing in a tough season that all things are going to work for my good. Oh, hear me. You don't need to know how the all's going to work out. That's not your prerogative. That's God's. All you need to know is that the God who's for you will work all things for your good. All things. But God, I'd like you to work this for my good in this way. It's not your job to manipulate how it works for your good. You just need to trust the one who will work it for your good. If I could have just said to me, you, Steve, you lost some night's sleep over situations that 10 years later were the best thing that ever happened to you. Go to sleep and trust God. But I didn't see that because I was panicking. But we serve a sovereign God, don't we? And seven of you believe that. Bill Gates said this, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Eugene Peterson defines discipleship in this way, long obedience in the same direction. Just keep going. 
because God will turn the path around for your good because he's so for you. You can't believe how for. Yes, you can. Look to Calvary. That's how for you he is. He'll work everything for your good. Last two, this one. Trust the right people. Remember I shared a few weeks ago, if any of you were around, that I have a problem with trust. I struggled trusting some people. Therefore, it's important, and I said it then, I'll say it again now, but you can't truly live unless you trust. That's not community. That's not life. And we want you to be part of the community and part of a full, full life. And you have to be in a community, so you have to trust people. But it's not about simply trusting everyone. It's about trusting the right people. And I used to think, and this was a mistake I made, I'm going to trust the competent. Now, competency is good, but character is better. And if I can say something to you, 32-year-old man with a full head of hair, work on your character above your competency. Oh, don't neglect your competency. That would be idiotic. You can't use moving in the Holy Spirit as an excuse for doing something naff. Because that's what the church has done forever. Oh, the Spirit led me and it was rubbish. Then that probably wasn't, uh, don't go off on that one. It probably wasn't the Spirit then. No, do it. Get competent. Do it well. But don't in that neglect your character. I'm going to ask at the back of the hall here. In fact, I'm going to ask you to come forward for this one, Andrew, because you didn't stand up long enough. Andrew Harris, would you just come forward? People have asked me, as we go on sabbatical, who's in charge and, you know, who's going to oversee things? Well, there's a team for a start, but firstly, I just want to say Andrew's in charge, and it's not because he's competent that we can go away and fall asleep restful. He is competent, very competent. When he came for an interview, I remember asking his wife, why should I employ your husband? And she said, because he's the most loyal man you'll ever meet. He's hardworking and he's clever. They're the three things she said about him. And I've discovered every single one of those is true. You will not find a harder working man than this man. The night we moved into this building, the alarm went off. We'll tell this story forever and show we should. The alarm went off the night before. So we're moving in the next day and the alarm's going off. So there was no alarm on. We got a full day the next day, service after service. You know what he did? He slept on the couch to guard the place here so as that it was secure that night. Then went home for an hour when others came to get a shower, for which we were all grateful. <laughs> and then spent the whole day serving. Talk about a good hire. But I don't trust him because of his competency. <laughs> Stay there. <gasps> I don't trust him because of his competency or his Welshness or his family. I trust him because of his character. And that's what counts. Thank you. Giving us the freedom to go with the trust because we believe in you. Thank you, Andrew Harris. At the end of the day, guys, your competency, competency will only go as far as your character will take you. So work on it. Can I add one more? I know time's gone. Musicians, come back. My last point is this. 
stay grateful. Grateful for the volunteers that come in the morning to set out the hall. Grateful for the people that give consistently, financially, time and their treasure. Grateful for friends. Grateful for the body of Christ. Grateful for the little things. Stay grateful. Never just let it all happen and ignore what's going on. Be grateful. We're grateful, aren't we? Thank you to you. Thank you for this church. Thank you, as Andrew said, for letting us go. Above all, let's be thankful to Jesus Christ.